This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. Today's message is from the Book of Acts sermon series. In this series, we're diving deeper into how God has invited us into His mission, how the Holy Spirit was present at the beginning of the church and is active now, and how the local church is God's primary method to change the world. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message encourages you. Morning, Life Church. How we doing? That wasn't very. Come on. How we doing this morning? There you go. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. I got a very nice note. Thank you, Joe. Um, that's one of the elders at Life Church. That's why we're Life Church. So um, we got more of them. Okay. Uh, so I got a very nice note from my son this morning. He's 13 years old. Just said all the nice things that. I guess I do as a dad that makes him happy. And then he said he had a gift for me. And he decided that the sweatshirt, my 49er sweatshirt that he stole from me a year ago because he decided it didn't fit me anymore. He decided I've lost enough weight that he was gonna give it back to me. So that was my Father's Day present from my son this morning. So I'm Pastor Dusty. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church, And uh, I just am so happy that you guys are here today. Weren't those Surge kids awesome? They were super awesome. Hey guys, we are continuing in our, um, our sermon series on the book of Acts, and we are, uh, Dave kind of uh, uh, unpacked last week kind of how we're looking at this in three different phases. And so for the next three weeks, we are looking at three characters in the, books of, uh, in the book of Acts, not books of Acts, the book of Acts. We are looking at three characters that grew and established the early church. And so it is my honor today to have the apostle Peter as our character. Now, Peter, the title of today's message is Peter, A Transformed Life. Peter is such an awesome guy, and I think so many people, I had a bunch of people after first service all tell me, like, I like Peter because I can relate to Peter. Because Peter is a guy, especially in the Gospels, that just says stuff. He speaks before he thinks, he acts before he thinks. He's a fisherman, and we're not talking like a river runs through it fisherman. We're talking like deadliest catch fisherman, like a roughneck, big, heavy wooden boats, wooden oars, pushing out into the seas, throwing nets into the, into the seas and pulling them back in with his bare hands. He's a man's man. He's impulsive. He has ADHD. He just does stuff. And that's why I love Peter. And so today, as we begin to look, and we're we are gonna be jumping into the book of Acts and looking at who this Peter is. But before we get to that Peter, the Peter of Acts 2, the Peter that delivers messages with boldness and confidence of the message of the gospel of Jesus, we have to go back and understand who the Peter of the gospels was. You see, Peter has the second most speaking parts in all of the gospels. He says the most stuff. Now, it's not, supposed, it's not because he should have said the most stuff. He just says the most stuff. He talks about four times as much as the, as, uh, the disciple John. He just says lots of things. And I think that's why we all can relate to Peter, because he comes up with great ideas for Jesus, but they're not great ideas which is kind of like us, right? So before we can jump into Acts, let's go back to Luke 5, chapter, uh, Luke, uh, chapter 5, verse 4. First service was better. <laughs> Just saying. So Luke 5, 4, here, here's the setting here. 
Jesus is speaking on the shore and there's a crowd that begins to gather and the crowd grows too large. And so he turns to Peter. He's not yet called Peter to be his disciple, but he says, let me take your boat, push me out a little ways. I wanna keep teaching to the crowd. And so Peter and a couple of the other apostles or disciples, they are off to the side, they're cleaning their nets. They've been fishing all night and they haven't caught anything. And this is the moment when Jesus had finished speaking in verse four, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and we took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to the partners in the other boat to come help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For uh, he and all who were with them were astonished at the catch of fish that they had just taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Simon said to, uh, Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. You see, we see, we see this beautiful display of one Peter knowing who he is. Jesus, I, I'm a sinner. You got the wrong guy. Like, thanks for the fish, but... I can't be a part of your crew. You don't know who you're calling. And we see Jesus saying, no, I'm calling you. Come and follow me. But then we see this beauty of Peter where he just jumps out and says, okay, we're gonna park the boats and we're gonna go. Doesn't even say what they do with the fish, but let's go. And we, we're gonna fast forward now about halfway through. See, Peter and the other disciples are gonna walk with Jesus for three years before his crucifixion and resurrection. Three years, they're gonna see the things that Jesus does. They're gonna hear the teachings. They're gonna be there for the Sermon on the Mount. They're gonna be there for the feeding of the 5,000. They're gonna see the blind that begin to see, the lame that walk, the dead that are raised again but they're gonna miss the biggest miracle that Jesus is about to pull off. And we catch up in our story in Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 through 26. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So we, we see this moment here in Matthew 16. We're gonna see it again in Matthew 17 and in Matthew 20. Jesus begins to prepare his disciples. I've gotta go do a thing. I'm in a, I'm, they're gonna kill me. They're gonna crucify me. I have to go. And on the third day, I'll be resurrected. And in this first moment that Jesus says this, here we got Peter. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Imagine rebuking Jesus doesn't seem really that smart, right? Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. In other words, I've got a better idea. We don't need to do that. I see all the stuff you're doing. That stuff's super awesome. Let's just keep healing people. Let's just keep doing the teaching thing. That whole loaves thing you did where you split it up and fed 5,000. More of that Jesus. That was funny. You guys could laugh a little more. <laughs> but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me. Satan, <laughs> you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And that's in chapter 16 of Matthew. And we fast forward into chapter 17 of Matthew and Jesus takes Peter and James and John and he says, come with me up into the mountain 
And when they got up into the mountain, Jesus becomes transfigured. His face begins to shine. His, his robe turns wide. It's like Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. And all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up. Moses, who led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Elijah, the great prophet. And Peter, James, and John must have been like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. We've got Moses. We've got Elijah. And the scripture says that Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah. And here comes Peter. Hey, Jesus, how about I build you guys three tents? One for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses, as if Jesus couldn't do the math in his head, right? And at that moment, it says that the voice of God came from heaven and the disciples hit their faces and God's voice comes down and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And when they lift their faces up, Moses and Elijah are gone and they go down the hill. And this is when we see the second time that Jesus tells his disciples. Matthew 17, 22 and 23, it says, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, they've just come down the mountain, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And it says they were greatly distressed. Another translation says they were confused, but too afraid to ask any questions. They saw what happened to Peter just a chapter ago. And we probably shouldn't say much to this whole message that's going on here. You see, what was Peter doing in that moment? Peter had it in his mind. Hey, we got a good thing going on here. And Jesus, it's not only you, but you're like glowing right now. And we got Moses and Elijah Let's just build this earthly kingdom here. Let me build you a home. Let me build these other guys a home. Let's camp out here for a while. Let's establish this earthly kingdom. And Jesus is saying over and over and over, this is not about the earthly kingdom. It's about the biggest miracle I'm about to pull off and you don't see it. Matthew 20, we see one more of these. Jesus says he's gonna go to Jerusalem. He's gonna have to go before the, the, the scribes and they're gonna put him to death by crucifixion and he's gonna pull off Easter. And at this time, the disciples don't say anything. There's no mention of anything because they don't know what's about to happen. And then our boy Peter, in Matthew 26, 30 to 35, this is now the fourth time that Jesus is gonna say this. He is about to go be handed over and crucified. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, he's, he's uh, reaching back and reading a prophecy here. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And here we see Peter again, foot in mouth disease. Peter answered him, Jesus, though they all fall away, all the disciples behind him, we know, we know they're gonna fall away. I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. And we know how this story plays out. For any of you that have been in church for any period of time, we know what Peter goes and does. Jesus is arrested. He's about to be crucified. The disciples are scattered. 
and Peter's walking around and he runs into three different groups of people. Aren't you that guy? Aren't you that guy that just says stuff? Aren't you the loud disciple? We know you. Aren't you the one that was that follower of Jesus? And three times he denies. Three times he goes away, he leaves. And the shame that must have come over him in that moment, he's just done the thing that Jesus told him he would do, but he can't put it together in his mind that Jesus is about to do the thing that he said he was going to do. He doesn't understand. And it goes even one step further than this. This is how much the disciples and Peter did not understand. And in John 20, this is Easter Sunday, the stone has been rolled away. The tomb is empty. The disciples get word that the, that the tomb is empty. And so Peter went out with the other disciple. The other disciple is, the, is uh, John. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love how John just humble brags there. He's just like, yeah, we were both running. We both wanted to get there, but I'm definitely faster than Peter, right? And then we're gonna skip down a couple of verses. And in verse eight, it says, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, of course, he's gotta say it again, also went in and saw and believed that the tomb was empty. And then these two verses right here, for as they yet did, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. And I wanna pause right here because we are now jumping into Acts 2. We are now about to see Peter emerge. It is 50 days later. 50 days have passed from this moment that they're standing in an empty tomb. The words of Jesus ringing in their heads that I'm gonna die and on the third day I'm gonna be resurrected. I'm gonna tell you that once, I'm gonna tell you that twice, I'm gonna tell you that three times, I'm gonna tell you that four times, and you're gonna deny me, and you denied me, and you're standing in the empty tomb, and you don't get it. And it says the disciples went back to their homes, and we're gonna pause there and jump into Acts chapter two, because how does a man go in 50 days from denying a Christ that he followed for three years. He's sitting back at home, wondering what's just happened. How do you go from that to what he's about to do? And this is where we pick up Peter. We pick up Peter in Acts, Acts 1, we see the ascension of Jesus into heaven. Scott Camp preached on this a couple of weeks ago. Jesus is going up into heaven. He's telling the disciples, what they're going to do, what their call is going to be, the promise of the Holy Spirit. They wait 10 days in the upper room and like a mighty rushing wind, the power of the person of the Holy Spirit comes upon them and it says there was something like tongues, like fire on their head. We're spending four or five weeks on the Holy Spirit later this summer. But something happens in that moment to where the power of the Holy Spirit reveals and the crowd begins to, to come and they begin to come around because they hear a bunch of different languages being spoken, their own languages. And they're standing there wondering, how do these dumb Galilean fishermen, how do they speak my language? How do they speak my dialect? Maybe they're drunk because that's what happens when you get drunk, you learn new languages. <laughs> and Peter comes out 
halfway through chapter two. It says, we're not drunk. And he unpacks the Old Testament prophecies of the Holy Spirit. And then this is where we pick up Peter. In Acts 2, 22, here's the first sermon from Peter. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And we will skip down to verse 37. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what do we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your, uh, is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. How do you go from running and hiding and denying Christ to standing up in front of the people that just killed your savior, that just crucified your savior and preach a message so bold that thousands of people come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. How do you get there? How do you get there? To personalize it, I wanna ask you guys a question. How do you go from a follower of Jesus' teachings to living with the revelation of the resurrected Christ in your heart? How do you go from being a follower of Jesus' teachings to living with the resurrection power in your heart? Because you see, that's what happened to Peter here in this moment. And now we're gonna go back to when the disciples are confused and they don't understand. And what happens in those 40 days where Jesus, the, the resurrected Jesus is now among them. He's in and out. They don't know what's happening, but all of a sudden they'll be in a room and then no doors open, but then there's resurrected Jesus just walking through walls. And they're having these different interactions with him. And so our second point is this, that we are, we are restored by a resurrected Jesus. In the last moment, the last of these stories that we see, we see Jesus showing up to Peter. And where do we find Peter in John 21? He's gone back fishing. He's gone back to the only thing he knows. I was good at this. Those three years were great. Gave it a good run. Pretty strong to the end. I denied Christ. I still love Christ. But I go back to fishing. And we see Jesus walk onto the shore. The disciples don't recognize him because of his glorified body. But in John 21, five through eight, Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and they were not able to haul in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, again, John referring to himself, therefore said to Peter, 
It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, which was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from land. You see, we see this awesome picture that a savior shows back up in the same context that Jesus meets Peter in Luke 5, which we read. We see this same context and Peter this time throws himself into the sea, leaving his poor buddies to drag all the fish back to shore. And he's swimming to a savior that he has denied, but that he still loves. We see this impulsive Peter. It's Jesus. Jesus, I love you. Sorry, I denied you. I don't know what's going through his mind in that moment, but I love that Jesus makes him breakfast. In John 21, verses 15 through 17, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. For a second time, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he had said it the third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You see, what Peter needed in that moment was to be restored by a resurrected Jesus. We're gonna see the importance of that in just a second here. It's no accident that Jesus shows up and Peter's fishing. It's no accident that they throw the net in and he pulls in a large quantity of fish in the same way that we see when Jesus calls him in Luke 5. It's no accident that Peter denies him three times and Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? And it's no accident that Jesus hearkens Peter's remembrance back to that moment Come after me and I will make you a fisher of men. And Jesus says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Now we're into Acts. And I asked the question earlier, how do you go in 50 days? How do you go from denying Christ and not understanding the resurrected Jesus to now living with power and boldness, boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And this brings us to our third point. A revelation of resurrection power changes everything. A revelation of resurrection power changes everything. What changed when the Holy Spirit came upon Peter and the other disciples? What changed that they switched from being disciples to being called apostles, ones who were sent? What changed in that moment when the Holy Spirit filled them? It gave them a revelation of the person of Jesus. Not a Jesus that had just died on a cross, but a Jesus that is resurrected and living in their hearts that a Jesus that ascended into heaven and said, I have to go because what's coming after me is better. It is better for you that I go because the person of the Holy Spirit is gonna give you power. It's going to reveal to you the resurrected Jesus. And as we fast forward and we look through the book of Acts, we see time after time after time 
Peter preaching with power. Peter is walking by the temple and a lame man is there. Peter prays in the name of Jesus and the man begins to walk and people begin to gather. And what do we see Peter do in Acts 3.15? He preaches a message that ends with this. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. He's then sent before the high council in Acts 4. Can you stop talking about this Jesus, dude? He's no longer here. No, I can't stop talking about Jesus. In Acts 4, Peter says, let it be known to all of you and to all of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you. The same people, the same councils that had just put his savior to death. He stands in front of them with confidence and is able to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus. He gets thrown in jail a chapter later. God miraculously sets them free, but doesn't tell the guards about it. And the next morning, Peter is preaching outside and they're like, aren't you guys watching these people? We put them in jail last night. How are they out there? And we see Peter once again, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. You see, what changed in Peter's life is that he had a revelation of the resurrection power of Jesus, that it became birthed in him by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And you guys, this changes everything. It changes everything for our lives. Is your Christianity dead or is it alive? Do you feel connected to God? Or do you feel dead? Do you try as hard as you can to follow the teachings of Jesus without walking in resurrection power? What is the status of your life? I can remember several years ago when I was working in prison, I worked there for about eight years, a dark place, a cynical place. My life began to slowly turn down the volume of God, that I began to reflect the world that I was in. I could still remember this conversation that I had with a coworker and somehow religion came up and I said, oh, I'm a Christian. And their response was, oh, really? I had no idea. And for a boy raised in church, taught the ways of Jesus, taught how to live this Christian life out, for a person that had lived on mission for a lot of my life, for a person that had been involved in ministry at different points, to to have that message come back to me, the shame that came in there, very similar shame that Peter must have felt in denying Christ three times, that shame of, oh, oh, ouch, oh, that hurts. What was different in my life as I had lost sight of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that changes everything. It's what separates Christianity from any other religion in the world. It is not a set of teachings and values and morals to implement in our life. We don't become more kind by trying to be more kind. We don't develop more self-control by trying to have more self-control. But what Peter and the other apostles got is they got that there was a power of life 
that we have a living Jesus that lives on the inside of us. Paul says in Romans 8 that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Are you worshiping a dead Jesus? Are you worshiping a Jesus that died on the cross? Don't, don't get me wrong. The Bible says that the power of the blood of Jesus, that it covers every sin, it covers every iniquity. By his blood, we are healed. The death of Jesus brought us into the family and sets us for eternity in heaven. But the resurrected Jesus is what gives this Christian life the life and the change so that the more that I'm walking with God, the more that I am abiding with God, the more that I am remaining with Jesus, the more my character begins to look different. Let me read these scriptures that uh, through Christ, that I'll be more than a conqueror through Christ, that I'm gonna have a peace that passes understanding, that there's freedom in Christ. Sometimes when we read those words and we say, where's, my, where's the freedom? Where's the peace? I don't see that. I don't feel like more than a conqueror. Why? Because all of those things, they, it's through Jesus. It is through the resurrected Christ living in our hearts. And Peter, at the end of his life, in 1 Peter 1.3, it's written shortly before he goes to die, a very similar death that his Savior did. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want to read this again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be what? He has caused us to be what? To a what? Living hope through the what? Of Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way in Romans 5, 510. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? You might read that and think, well, what's Paul saying here? Is he saying there's two salvations? Do I have to do two different things? I thought I said the prayer, which got me in. He's not saying two salvations. He's saying, hey, when you were an enemy of God, when you couldn't be reconciled to God, God died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, that that blood atoned, that it set us right, that it reconciled us, that when, when God looks at us, he sees the blood of Jesus that covers our iniquities. But how much more are our lives gonna look different when we have the power of the resurrected living Jesus inside of us. How do I do this thing? How do I live out this Christian life? How do I have more of that? It's simple, but it's really hard. It's really, really hard, but it's super simple. Jesus says in John 14 through 17, Pastor Greg preached a message on this several months ago. Jesus says over and over and over to his disciples, remain in me, remain in me. And I am the vine, you are the branch, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. And so this walking with Jesus in our lives, 
It's the constant prayer of setting myself aside. I cannot live this thing on my own. I need Jesus. I cannot do this thing on my own. I need Jesus. I set myself aside. I set myself aside. Jesus, come in, fill me up. Let your presence come inside me. Let your Holy Spirit power live through me. And the more that we begin to walk this out, the more that our lives begin to reflect Jesus. How does a man, a fisherman, deny Christ? And at the end of his life, as he's being taken to be crucified, say, I am not worthy to die in the same manner as my Savior. Crucify me upside down. How does he go through the jail, the imprisonment? How does he walk that life of power? And how do we walk that life? There may be some of you here today, maybe you connected with that second point, that you're like, oh, I'm far from God right now, that I need to be restored by a resurrected Savior. I need to be set right again by a resurrected Savior. And maybe there's some of you as you're speaking that you're like, Gosh, my Christianity's been dead for six months, a year, two years. I remember that time three years ago when I felt super close and I was reading scriptures and I was praying and I felt like God was doing stuff and, and that's gone away. Welcome to the club. That's why I say it's the easiest, most simple thing in the world that we cannot save ourselves. We also cannot change ourselves. But it is the power of the resurrected Christ that comes into our hearts and maybe there are some of you here today who need to open your heart. Open that heart again. We're gonna pray here in a second. And I'm gonna invite each of you guys as we're sitting here to pray this prayer. Let this be a daily reminder as we unpack in the next three weeks these people that founded the early church. They each had this in common they knew their lives were not their own. They had been bought with a price and they were infilled with the resurrected Jesus that changed everything. Let's bow our heads. Some of you may be here today saying, I need to be restored. I need to be set right. I did good, but I've fallen away. Some of you may be here saying, yeah, I'm following Jesus' teachings. I'm doing a lot of the right things, but I have no power in my life. I have no character in my life. And I wanna see that power. I'm just gonna say a prayer over us today. Dear Heavenly Father, let us be followers of you that seek your face. Let's surrender our lives. Lord, I surrender my life to you. Come fill me up with your resurrection power. Let your will be done in my life and not my own that you reveal the plan that you have for me. I thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to catch more of this series and hear more messages like this. You can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com.